Hey folks, Ben Shapiro here. The latest episode, Daily Wire Backstage, Kamal Ye Faithful, covered the latest implosions of the Dems presidential candidates, the impending impeachment of President Trump, Biden and Pelosi's battle for cringiest video of the day, and much more. Join me, Andrew Clavin, Michael Knowles, and Jeremy Boring, and special guest Adam Carolla, as we chop it all up with insights and laughs galore. Take a listen. How about a fake laugh? <laughs> <laughs> It's hard, even, it's hard even to gin up a fake and I'll, and I'll tell you why. It's because the real world is so damn funny. <laughs> it's, not, it's not fake. Yeah, I can't stop fake. laughing at reality. Yeah. And then when it's time uh, to By the way, I'm, I have to say, I'm so glad that you actually got this for like the week when this person's going to be relevant. I don't know what you're talking about. It's Christmas time. Man. <laughs> Welcome to the Daily Wire backstage. The Kamali, I can't even say it. The Kamali faithful. Uh, I really blew that joke. And it's such a good it's joke. It's such a great joke. Yeah. But what's happening is our teleprompter doesn't work. Oh, no. And so then. That's our usual arrangement. Yeah. So then you're just off your. It was working two minutes ago. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, two minutes ago, we weren't shooting a shot. Oh, no, that's right. That's right. I forgot. That's right. Uh, it is I, Jeremy Boring, your trusty neighborhood Daily Wire God King with a lowercase g and a lowercase k. And I am joined, as always, by Benjamin Shapiro, Michael Knowles, Andrew Clavin, and Alicia Krauss. I didn't call her lovely. I just wanted to, <laughs> just she wanted to kind it of out. shake she things. She so is. Though. I know. But it's, it's disparaging. Look lovely tonight. Sheesh. Oh, <laughs> I'm sorry. The lovely Alicia Krauss. Alicia, how you doing? I'm pretty good, and my teleprompter is working, so this is the opportunity that I have to take over the show. No, I'm kidding. I'm just here to remind all of our subscribers out there that are watching at home, or I don't know, on the metro, if you're stuck on the D.C. or New York metro, or somewhere in an airport, headed home, or to work, whatever. If you want to ask the guys questions, you have to be a Daily Wire subscriber. Go over to dailywire.com, be sure to find the show's page up at the top, and click on Backstage, and then type your questions into the chat box. Questions are already pouring in that sits next to the video. The chat box is right next to the video so you can be watching and chatting at the same time. And uh, I don't know if he's teased it yet or not. Can I Can I tease the big guest tonight? Am you I know, allowed? I think she you already know, did. Yeah. <laughs> I was saving it for when I remembered later on. Because uh, <laughs> I don't have a teleprompter to actually cue me about these things. So I think it'd be best if you did it, Elisa. All right. Well, Jeremy was going to tell all y'all that the big guest tonight is None other than Adam Carolla. Yay! He'll be coming up. All right. <laughs> he'll be coming up shortly, and he'll be taking your questions, but only if you're a subscriber. So to get those questions in for Adam and all the guys, because let's be honest, you're over asking the God King and all the guys over there all the questions, right? <laughs> if you want to get a question in for Adam T Carolla, be sure to go over and ask, and we'll see if it ca happens on the air. Thank you, Elisha Kraut. We have so much to talk about today before Adam gets here, because once he's here, I feel like we're going to be talking about culture, which mm -hmm. will be fun. Uh, but, but betwixt now and then, <laughs> yep. so much has happened since last we were together. So much has happened since I got to work today. <laughs> uh, we have... First of all, I barely recognized you. I thought you were a juddle gum. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Ludlum Mr. over there? Mr. Ludlum? Ludlum? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I did get attacked by... Uh, I didn't. I shouldn't say I got attacked. We got attacked. <laughs> Uh, by a journalist, and then I attacked him right back. Yeah, <laughs> good, good and proper, I thought. Uh, but the big story is, of course, Kamala is out of the race, so it's only a matter of time before we're all arrested. <laughs> that bus is available now. That bus is available. The DOC is taking over. The bars on right the outside. I think I actually have to admit, I hate to do this. I only do this once every ten years. I got Kamala Harris completely wrong. Everyone I, did. Everyone, everyone did. did. I yeah. thought on paper she was such a good candidate. Yes. 
and then she opened her mouth and cackled <laughs> and talked about smoking blunts with Snoop Dogg, and she completely collapsed. I'm going I'm to miss that laugh, aren't you? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was so charming. It, it, it haunts always my nightmares. Yeah. So yeah. that, that's exactly. I mean, <laughs> listen. Before you get too uh, reminiscent about the the heady days of yesteryear when you could hear that cackling laugh, Hillary might get back in the race. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, people were asking what she was going to do next, and it's like, well, I, I thought Joaquin Phoenix was only signed for one film. So I, think that, I think that, and also we have like the black version of every single superhero movie now. So go, like, feel, and, and female, right? I mean, it's like we have black female right. Bond, right, who's coming, yeah. mm-hmm. apparently. Right. So why not black female Joker? I think if they want a you know, black female to run, they should get Justin Trudeau. She's like, <laughs> <laughs> It's two-faced. It's real two-faced. I have to say, we all yes, we all got Kamala wrong. I enjoyed having her in the race. The reason is because her campaign manager on Twitter, at least once a week, Mm -hmm. would say, and this he was not joking, would say who they were going to arrest (laughs) and what they were going to ban and And what what they were going to ban, like full on. You know, when when Kamala Harris is in the White House. People who drink whiskey and smoke cigars will be outlawed. <laughs> based hey, wait on, a second. Based on you what? know what I love too? On her birthday, they posted the exact same tweet that Hillary Clinton posted, a black and white photo, yes, which yes. when Kamala was a kid, by the way, they had color photos. So they artificially <laughs> made it black and white. And said, Happy birthday to this future president. This was after Kamala Harris hired all of Hillary's ex-staff. This is as she trotted out the campaign. over two. Not over two. Just not a great idea. Because Democrats believe Kamala Harris believed, just as they believe with Stacey Abrams. Mm. They believe that they win every race that they lose. <laughs> and so in most Beto. business, yeah. in most that's right, Beto. In most businesses, like the person who lost last time, their entire team is anathema. Mm-hmm. Like you don't want anything <laughs> yeah. to do with that. Like, yeah. oh wait, you guys were the last in the league last year. Yeah, your coaches aren't gonna work mm-hmm. again. Your uh, no you one's know, picking your players up on nobody's waivers. picking your players. Those, those Barry up. Stearns guys oh. didn't get hired by Goldman, right? right. You're out. only only Hollywood is just like this. Hollywood is yes. exactly like. Well, her. Elizabeth Banks just got picked up for another major yeah. film. Yeah. I, was, I said so this to someone the other day, but it's, a, and for the same reason, because it's all imagery. It's all like, yeah, that looks like a presidential candidate in my imagination. That looks yeah. like a movie star in my imagination. Best, That's a movie that should have worked in my imagination, <laughs> and the fact that it didn't just has no resonance whatsoever. Yeah. 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 The best thing about the Kamala Harris candidacy fail has been the reaction of the media and the other Democrats to her leaving. Oh, because glorious. it's been because everybody is suddenly weeping openly about this. She had 0% support, like none. No, her immediate family didn't support her. Like the big surprise of her dropping out was that her husband took a picture with her. He's like, oh, uh, one person likes her. That's great. That's really exciting. No one liked her. Willie, and, Willie Brown was supportive. <laughs> oh, that's a low. Wow. That's, that's Very low. Terrible. Terrible. But in any case, she the, the best person on all of this has been Cory Booker. Because Cory Booker has been putting out an email. Somebody signed me up. It's pretty great. See, here's the thing. When people mow you online, then they start signing you up for, like, all of the things they think you will hate, right? So so my my typical account, because it's public, will receive emails from Planned Parenthood and the (laughs) campaigns for Warren and Booker. And the ones from Warren and Booker are actually really amusing. So the ones from Booker, every six hours since she has dropped out, I'm not kidding, every six hours, there's been an email from Cory Booker in my inbox. It says, Dear Ben, the stage is completely white now. We need to get me on that stage to prove that we are a diverse party. And I think to myself, this is amazing because now yeah. they're calling themselves racist. It's amazing. It's like the, every also, editorial, Charles Blow did one in the New York Times today. It was on MSNBC, on CNN. NBC did a full editorial on this whole thing that it's so hard for a black woman. I'm like, okay, first of all, if Michelle Obama jumped in tomorrow, she'd win the race by 40 <laughs> points, both the general and the, and the primaries. Right. Also, 
I love the idea that Americans are not willing to vote for a black president. It's like Barack Obama just never existed. Like, Trump erased him from existence like Thanos. It's but like he's just gone. It's always been implied in their philosophy. They yell at us because we're the enemy. But it's always implied in their philosophy that all of America is That's racist. Right. Yes. So, so really, if you're standing next to them, they're only yelling at us now. The minute they're done with us, they'll turn to you and come after well, you. And they but there's do. also a huge oversight here, which is, isn't Elizabeth Warren still in the race? You know, yeah, you make a color. great point. I, I was going to mention Tulsi Gabbard and Andrew Yang, but Elizabeth Warren <laughs> is still in the race. It's actually true. <laughs> they actually, like, they factually got it wrong, except yeah. they've been trying to ignore those two candidates as best they can and kick them off the stage. But, well, Elizabeth, Warren, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Warren only became white in the Democrat... It, yeah, in the right. in the Democrat narrative, she only became white when Kamala Harris got well, out of the race. But, so Warren, now I get to tell you about Warren's emails. So she's been sending me emails too, uh, and and it's it's so nice. So she sends me emails, and the emails say things like, "Dear Ben, do you remember when Kirsten Gillibrand and Kamala Harris were forced from the race after winning a combined 11.5 million votes in their Senate races, only so billionaires like Michael Bloomberg <laughs> and Tom Steyer could be in?" And I thought to myself, "Has anyone mentioned Kirsten Gillibrand for months? Yeah. Like, was she a human being? Also, isn't Amy?" Klobuchar on the stage, and, and many, isn't Tulsi Gabbard still in? And aren't you there? Yeah. And Tom Steyer, like they, they keep doing. It's really funny because now they're they're <laughs> the thing. now they're doing. They're, this, like, yeah, they're, they're all these articles about, about Tom Steyer. Yeah. They're, they're all these articles like Tom Steyer is still in the race. Why hasn't he been forced from the race? Because no one forced Kamala Harris from the race. <laughs> right. She dropped out. Right. It's voluntary. Right. She could have stuck around, but she realized she would gotten her she ass kicked out? in California. I thought it was that's what she got out so She was gonna. She was afraid that she was gonna tank in the early states. She'd have to stick around till California. She'd finish fourth in California, and it would have been humiliating if she drops out now then maybe she's got a cabinet position she, maybe somebody she hasn't got Hillary TV. Clinton's taste for humiliation yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just utter shamelessness yeah. Yeah. Hillary, did you see Hillary, Hillary on Howard Stern she could actually anyway, get back oh, in the race you know like I'm straight so bad. <laughs> I want to talk about Hillary I want to talk about Hillary on Howard Stern and in particular I want to talk about my Christmas wish that Hillary actually gets in the yeah. I, I'm just hoping against hope you guys I know we, she keeps saying people, people, people are urging her to get in the race it's all me it's all me <laughs> Just keep writing Trump is sending her picture to the scam. <laughs> exactly. If there is a Hillary for President uh, website out there, please go and give. <laughs> you would make four pundits so, so happy. In the meantime, though, I want to tell you guys about a, a brand new sponsor that we have here on the show called The Last Coat. You know how hard it is to protect your car from water spots? We have hard water out here uh, from dirt from pollen, and if you live in Southern California, from raining sulfur. <laughs> we have the entirety of Southern California catches fire three times a year, and you come outside, and there is an inch of actual ash is, yes. on your vehicle. You know, I, I have a one-car garage, so either my wife's car or my car is out in the driveway, and it rains. When it rains, it's like the car dissolves. <laughs> like, just all this stuff, there's the tires, you know. So what but you need is the last you coat. You need the last coat. It's a versatile, durable, all-in-one, easy-to-use, all-surface, do-it-yourself coating that gives cars a slick, mirror-like finish in minutes. It really is good. It really protects your car, and you can do it yourself. It's also great for glass, vinyl, leather, stainless steel, countertops, electronic screens, most fabrics, and a lot more. It's a protection coating. lasts for up to six months. And like I said, you don't have to go into the shop. You just put it on yourself. Thousands of five-star reviews online, 100% made in the USA, 365-day money-back guarantee. This so, were you waiting for a good deal? Because here it comes. There it is. You, yes, you. Here's the deal. For our listeners, you get a 25% discount on a 16-ounce bottle of The Last Coat. It is the most durable, all-surface DIY coating technology on the market. For reference, an average-sized car takes only one or two ounces to cover the entire thing. To take advantage of the 25% discount, head on over to thelastcoat.com slash dailywire. Type in dailywire25 at the checkout. Again, that's thelastcoat.com slash dailywire and dailywire25 at the checkout to get 25% off. So you see the 25, it kind of matches up. 
The Last Coat is an awesome gift idea for the car enthusiast and your family. It is thelastcoat.com slash dailywire. Dailywire25 at checkout and take advantage of that special offer just for you. So I've gotten to see uh, Last Coat actually applied. It's unbelievable. It's a yeah, great product. Cool. And I got to meet uh, the founder of the company who is a terrific entrepreneur. It was a really inspiring uh, kind of conversation. He's the kind of guy who you root for. He, he's, he's kind of created all of this from nothing uh, and is, has really built a cool product and a cool brand. And uh, I hope people go support, uh, go support it and do themselves a favor because you put this on your car. Yep. Protects awesome. the car. And, yep. yeah, protects and, the car. You know, if you I know, had a car, I'd buy some. <laughs> <laughs> I do, and I will. I have. Actually. Um, Kamala Harris, the one thing about this, though, that I think we should talk about the fact that you and I especially, I think we're, we're, we were afraid of her when she got in the race. Yeah, we thought this, this mm-hmm. is a dangerous candidate. Mm-hmm. And the thing is, the people, the people are not like all wise, that they will delve into every policy decision, but they are smarter than imagery. And the imagery helps you first out of the gate. But we have to remember. They know what they don't that, like. The, but the press, yes, they know what they don't like. And they can, just like everybody, you can look at a person and think like, eh, something shifty about, you know, like Knowles. There's something shifty about this guy. You can just see, like, yeah, you know, and, and I think that people can see these things, and we don't trust them to see them. And even Democrats can see them. I mean, Also, I, the media turned on her early. Mm-hmm. They but, turned yeah. on her in support. But they also built her up. Yeah, but they built her up, and then she got up there, and they went, oh, my God, this woman will lock us up. <laughs> Maybe we have well, gone too she, she far. Would have We're better under saying that it was Tulsi who took her out, and that's not true. She, no. If you look at the polls, no. she took herself out, right? She, yes. she leapt up to the top of the polls, and then immediately she started to recede because she's the Hindenburg, and people saw that she was flip-flopping like a fish on Medicare for all, and even her initial attack on Joe Biden about forced busing was completely dishonest because no one supports forced busing, especially not Kamala 1970s. It was like another era. You know? <laughs> even in the 1970s, nobody supported yeah. forced busing. Yeah. It was yeah. deeply unpopular even in the <coughs> 1970s because who the hell wants to put your kid on a bus and bus them an hour to a school where they know nobody? Oh, it created white flight. The entire white flight problem, at least a huge percentage of it, was yeah. created by attempts to forced bus. Yeah. And so, you know, it was, it was an idiotic attempt. She was relegated in her final days. I love talking about the final days of Kamala Harris. <laughs> she was relegated in her final days to being on stage, chiding Elizabeth Warren for not calling on Twitter to ban Donald Trump. And I was like, this is, this is how low you've sunk. But it was kind of amazing <laughs> because the fact is, I, until she dropped out, I thought there might be a shot that she would be a second look candidate. It would be like second look at Kamala Harris. The reason being, because this feels a lot like 2012 for the Republicans, where it was like everybody early on, they were like, oh, Mitt Romney, that guy's probably pretty good. And they looked at him and they went, uh... Yeah. And then they looked at it like, maybe Newt Gingrich. Well, and well maybe Rick Santorum. Eh, Michelle Bachman. Eh, Herman Cain. Eh. And they literally went through like a thousand people. And then finally it came back around like, oh, I guess Romney's still here. <laughs> okay, fine. Well, that, that's Joe Biden circa 2020, right? I that mean, like all fine. along, yeah. Biden has been the guy where he was expected to win. And he's never dropped below 25% in the national polling. And he's still winning by large numbers in South Carolina and throughout the South. When you wonder why they're trying to impeach Donald Trump, you only have to look at Joe Biden and tell yourself this is their front. Although today was his best day. Yeah, it was a good day. Oh, okay, it was, it was a that good was day. great. It was okay, come day. on. The guy, the Let's guy's be real. Eyes explode, you know. Yeah, <laughs> but, but that, no, that but he did call right. that person fat. And so, <laughs> no, 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 no. Fat. He called him fat. <laughs> right, and that was his name, by the way. <laughs> yeah, fat, yeah, fat Morrison. Fat. Yeah, Johnny Fat. What I have to say, I was totally amused for people who missed it today. Joe Biden was doing a rally. It wasn't a rally. It was like a Q and A in Iowa. And some portly fellow, who's an Elizabeth Warren supporter, apparently, gets up and starts asking about Hunter Biden. And Joe gets visibly perturbed and gets very angry and says, because the guy says that he Called saw it on the TV. Liar. Right. He says, you're a damn liar. And he, the guy says, well, I saw it on the TV. He says, well, I'm not sedentary. You know, I, I'll, I'll get out there and I'll exercise. And he's like, well, what? Like, well, this, uh, is, this uh, is a non sequitur. OK. Yeah. And he's like, well, I'll, I'll do a push up contest with you. I'll do an IQ contest with you. He calls him. Fit. And then and then he literally says to him, look fat. And, then he, <laughs> <laughs> and, and I thought to myself. 
he could be president. Because, <laughs> it, because it was like everybody online on Twitter, they're like, this is a bad moment for Joe Biden. I was like, Donald Trump is the president of the United States. If Joe Biden had said to the guy, I'm going to come over there and grab you by the <laughs> He'd be president yeah, but tomorrow. You, but you forget. You forget. Everybody who imitates Donald Trump dies. But that's not There's imitation. One. Joe Biden's like. But Joe Biden is Joe Biden. You know what it's I had? Not, to it's think. not. It's not. It's not illegitimate. I think, yeah, I don't think it was imitation. You know, what I had to yeah. think when I saw that 77 year old Joe Biden up there <laughs> calling that guy fat, challenging. I just thought, what the hell did this guy do to Corn Pop? You know, back <laughs> Biden's prime with the chain. I can't even imagine what this guy did. No, but, I, don't, I, I, I don't know. I think Joe Biden, though, the fact that the guy is a front runner really tells us something about the Democratic. Well, well I, I agree. But Why here's not? my question. Dick Morris today yeah. wrote a piece about I, I said we'd talk about Hillary getting in here. Here it is. Okay. Dick Morris writes a piece today. About Author of Hillary versus Condi. Yes, exactly. Yeah, 2004. <laughs> I was going to say I was going to say Dick Morris is I, I actually like Dick Morris. He's a nice guy, but he has been wrong about every single thing. <laughs> All of them. But, yeah. but sometimes he's wrong about things. And for and for two or three minutes, I think I wonder if Dick Morris is right. But then today <laughs> in his article about Hillary getting into the race and he says, you know, her every thought is fixed upon it. Right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he says, but yeah. she's going to wait until Biden gets out. He's clearly the next person to drop. <laughs> I thought, on what planet is Joe Biden going to drop? Yeah. Never. Never. Mm, he's dead it. already. What? He can't even. It's <laughs> 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 not even a possibility. Listen, fat. Yeah, look, no way to talk his, about his whole philosophy president. is that he's going to win the later states, which is always a bad philosophy. Well, no, his his philosophy is that Buttigieg or Sanders, that they'll, they'll split some of the early states. Yeah, it's not that late. Right? I mean, he, South Carolina is third up. South Carolina is third up. Plus Nevada, he's leading in both. Right. Right. And then you get a Super Tuesday. And all he has to do is and, clear his. And, and by the way, we're, we're, we're joking here. Something like seventy-five to eighty-five. So a lot, a lot of a large percentage of the Democrat primary voters are happy with their lineup. They right. Like them. Yeah. And, right. And by the way, the, this is the thing that people are ignoring about the whole Kamala Harris dropout. And this is what's so amusing. People are like, "Oh, this just shows the systemic racism of American society. It's even bled down to the Democratic Party." <laughs> Kamala Harris had zero percent black support. Zero. Yeah. Like no one cared about her. Cory Booker has zero percent black support. You know who has all the black support? Joe Biden. Yeah. Which, which, by the way, speaks pretty well, I would say, honestly, of black voters in the Democratic Party who aren't at least just saying, oh, look, a black guy, I'm going to vote for him. Right. Right. Which was because the way they, try, which, they tried that once. It didn't work out. Well, that, that's but that's how the media portrays black voters yeah. is, OK, here's a black guy. Black well, people that's, will that's vote for that black about Kamala Harris. That is how the media thinks. Right. We have to be careful. Not, the voters are actually smarter than that. Right. Sorry, I didn't. Mean to I, no, I do. I, I do think you're absolutely right. I think that the media are thinking in this very shallow sort of racial way. And, but what we're all underestimating is the brilliance of Joe Biden's strategy here, because it was the same strategy as Rudy Giuliani. Yeah, <laughs> do that exactly. And, you know, Giuliani got reelected yeah, two or three he's times. Now, yeah, he's but, yeah. but to Ben's point, I don't think it's fair to say that that's quite what Biden is doing. Yeah. It's one thing like Giuliani legitimately said he wasn't going to even compete until Florida. Mm -hmm. So he didn't just say, mm -hmm. yeah, I'm not going to win. No, Iowa. You're, you're right. You're right. right. About that. It is also important to note that there is a vast difference between the late state strategies of a party that is largely homogenous in racial terms, meaning the, the Republican Party of Florida looks a lot like the Republican Party of New Hampshire or Iowa, or at least a lot yeah, more, yeah. right? The, the Democratic Party of South Carolina looks yeah. nothing like the Democratic Party of Iowa. But the it's Democratic also, Party it's also South the Carolina, person who wins time, Iowa rarely wins the presidency. Well, and that's the, this is the reason, because the, because the Democratic Party in South Carolina, the voting base in South Carolina in the Democratic primary is two-thirds black. The voting base in Iowa right. in the Democratic primary is 100%, 197% white. There including was a, Elizabeth Warren. There was a time when you <laughs> thought Biden was an actual threat to Trump. Do you actually think that he could be Trump? Yes. And the reason, the reason still is because Donald Trump makes lots of mistakes. I've always said that the, I've always said that the election is going to rest on who is this a referendum upon? Is this That's a right. referendum on Trump or is it a referendum on the Democrat? If it were Warren, Buttigieg, Sanders, 
than Kamala Harris, then the radicalism of the Democrat would be enough to drive a lot of moderate voters to go, I don't like this Trump guy very much. He seems like kind of a jerk, but the economy's good. He's not screwing up my life. All right, I guess I have to pull the lever for that guy. But Joe Biden has 100% name recognition. Everybody thinks what they think about him. He's basically a dead guy. Yeah. And a dead person is not a bad person to run against Trump because it's not a referendum on the dead guy. You know the dead guy's dead. Like, I have a question. Do you feel, like you as a, as a conservative, yeah. do you feel anywhere near as threatened by Joe Biden as president as you do by Elizabeth Warren no, or that's Pete a, that's a good point. or any of the I other Democrats? But, but I don't. I, yeah. You have to ask, when was the last time, because to your point, he's already a dead guy. When was the last time the more boring candidate won? Yeah, that's always, it's always I can't the more name charismatic. It. I can't think candidate. of it. But, it's, and, but there is, but we talk about how Trump is unique in many ways. Yeah. One of the ways in which he's unique is that what's interesting about him is alienating to a particular demographic. Mm-hmm. And that particular demographic, suburban, married suburban women, yeah. I think will look back with a certain fondness on the Obama era. Because during the Obama era, we may have been having policy losses and we may have been having economic losses. We don't remember those because they weren't that painful. But we do remember that things just weren't crazy. And Joe Biden just kind of represents this return to a time when that nice young man was president and everybody was kind of friendly and everybody kind of got along. And fat people sat down. <laughs> fat people sat down. But, that, but that's, I'm he not saying that, I'm not saying Biden yeah. must win. No, this is right. But he, this is why Biden is most likely to win of anybody that the Democrats always, thought about running. Always the strongest Democratic pitch was the 1920 Warren G. Harding return to normalcy campaign. Mm-hmm. That was always the strongest Democratic pitch because the only thing they've been successful in doing is keeping the feeling, this roiling feeling of upset and chaos going. That's the only yeah. thing the Democrats have been good at doing for the last several years. I mean, they've not been able to stop Trump's agenda. He's been able to get large swaths of it through. But they have been able to make people feel deeply uncomfortable yeah. with oh, well, each other. Well, because they have and, the entire press. On no, that. right. And I, again, I agree with all of that. Yeah. Right. I'm not saying that's Trump's fault. I think yeah. that the Democrats, I, mean, I think it's partially Trump's fault. Well, of course. In, in, in Trump, the sense no, Trump is an erupt- Trump is Trump, right? He's, yeah, he's yeah. a volcano, right? Yeah. And, and they cover the volcano. But they also exacerbate the effect of the volcano. I will, and, I will say, I know this is the most unpopular opinion I have, but I will say that, that Trump has been toning it down. If you watch what he's he doing, been. he is catching on. He is, you know, you think that Trump never changes, but he always changes. He's always playing the game. Yeah, this is your most unpopular opinion. Yeah, it's my most unpopular opinion. Well, it's, bad, it's a bad opinion. It's wrong. <laughs> but, but it's true. It's, it's, no, it's even actually, though, he just oversees Drew. He's <laughs> just not here. He, at NATO, he's like walking around slapping people like, <laughs> well, like Laurel and Hardy. Are you going to hit on Trump for slapping Europeans? Come on. <laughs> but did you see Biden's ad? Like Biden ran that ad, right? Yeah. Biden was like, the Europeans don't respect Donald Trump. And I thought, Trump's there's a, there's a, like, a, I was like, that's going to play in Michigan. Like the Michigan it's auto like, workers. Like, like, Macron, yeah. Macron doesn't love him. That European incident actually showed Drew's point, though, which the point is he's in the environment where, where Donald Trump of even a year and a half ago would have gone on a three-hour tirade <laughs> right. about little... Pencil neck Justin Trudeau, <laughs> that dirtbag idiot, you know, and instead, no, he got one line in. He said he's two faced. But look, I'm representing the United States. Maybe he doesn't like and that. Then very he, much. And then he insulted Macron. And then he, listen, I have no problem insulting any of these people. I think they're schmucks. But, no, but I, he's, I, not, I, he's not doing what he was doing before, at least not now. You're, you're a crazy person. He tweeted out a picture of himself as Rocky Balboa last week. That was, what that are you was, talking about? Genius. Genius? I was amused. Hold on. Hold on. Was it like Lincoln writing the Gettysburg Address? Or was it like the farewell address of George Washington? Can we put it on a list here? I just want some sort of. All right, all right. I want I some sort of context for genius. genius. Like when we genius, say like, like people in Hong Kong, like, are the, holding up like the theory of relativity, or like the or like string theory genius. Like where are we going here with this?
this for a <laughs> when we say that the president has made changes recently, you can't kick it back to a week ago. <laughs> that's, that's, that's how Trump lives. You live in Trump's America. No, no, no. I want to hear from some of our DailyWire.com subscribers <laughs> to get in on this conversation. Alicia. All right. I mean, man, how many pina coladas has Ben had? Because he sounds real excited tonight. I'm ready to get the hell out of here, Alicia. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So this question comes from a great Daily Wire subscriber. He wants to know, it, quote, it seems independents and minor- minority voters have been turning in Trump's favor, according to some recent polls over the last couple of months. But other than the backlash to the impeachment hearing and what Democrats are doing there, is there something else that you can see that is causing that shift? <laughs> yes, he's giving them jobs. He's doing a good job for minority people. He's doing... He is, you know, like all the all the talk. I mean, that that last poll that said that he had 33 to 34 percent among blacks. I think that poll was right. I, and I think that I, I'm surprised. It's not, it's, I'm it's surprised. Not just poll. If, you, if, if you're right, then Republicans will never lose again. Right? I, I mean, well, all Republicans I, have to do is win about 12 percent of the black vote and they never lose. An I mean, listen, there's something there's something about dinner on the table that has a very, very solid effect on people. You can sit there and say, this guy, you, you can watch on TV, on CNN, they bring on college professors, they say, yes, but the things he says, people are sitting in their home going, you know, I like having this dinner on the table. I, 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 I like going to work in the morning, having my wife and kids respect me. You know, this is, this is a good thing. And it's not you just know, one poll. On, it's well, not just the Emerson poll. There was the NPR Marist yep, poll. There was yep. obviously Rasmussen. Always. Plus, yeah, I've been saying this for two years. Right. Yeah, but there's, but there, I mean, to be fair, at least, well, we're going to have to see how the polls bear out because there is some pretty mixed polling data, right? Gallup suggests no, that he's basically yeah. exactly where he always was. Yeah. But uh, I hope that you guys are right. <laughs> yeah. Alicia. Doing better than Buttigieg, right? <laughs> <laughs> All right. With Kamala dropping out of the race this week, who do you think will be the next 2020 Democratic candidate to be next out? Good question. Mm. I think Warren, Sanders, uh, Buttigieg, and Biden certainly go all the way to Iowa. It is What's the incentive for people to get out at this point? Hmm. I, I guess that's my question. I, I think Klobuchar is the next one to get out, probably. Do you th- but do you think anyone gets out before Iowa? Maybe Klobuchar, if she doesn't start to pick up any ground. She, right? she is pretty... making some modest headway, isn't she? She is in New Hampshire. Some... New Hampshire, she's well, starting to pull a little bit. There's no world where Tulsi gets out. There's no world where Yang gets out. Right. The one that I hope doesn't get out, he should, Maybe he should get out. Though I hope he doesn't for entertainment value is Julian Castro, my favorite, <laughs> yeah. great defender of abortion rights for men. <laughs> I think he'll stick in it. What is he to run his if campaign? I don't have like my abortion rights. So, if right? I don't have my abortion it might be, rights, it might be. It might be. It might be I mean, Booker has been. Booker might do it just so he can whine and bitch about how he's not in the race anymore. I mean, he's a, he's a very whiny human being. He, he, he just, he's Mr. Potato Head. He goes around, he takes out the angry eyes. I, I have to tell you, I was, I, was talking, I, right. I was talking not that long ago, a while back, I mean, a couple of months ago, to a, a Booker guy, a guy yeah. who was work, working for Booker. And I said, you know, you know he's never going to be president, right? And his face fell. And I thought, I'm delivering news? <laughs> this is bad. You know, you should know that. You know? Political radiologist, Andrew Clavin. Metastasize, sorry. Yeah, exactly. Alicia. All right, so follow-up to that is, of the three people that were actually supporting Kamala, you know, other than her mom and dad, which candidate do you th- see all of her supporters going to and why? How would we know when they went? Yeah, so. Really? Okay. That, that sample is too small to. <laughs> There's no way to tell. Possible. I mean, who will her husband support? <laughs> we'll have to ask him. We're not going to see any change in the polls. No, no. The right. polls are. Booker is desperately really hoping that there will be a. Oh my God! There's only one black guy left in the race. What do we do? <laughs> Maybe we'll go to that black guy. And everybody's like, 
Cory Booker, Cory yeah. Mc, <laughs> McBooker, yeah, yeah, man, no you know, way. Spartacus. It, just, just to kick Kamala while she's down, it is worth <laughs> pointing out here that uh, people are saying she had 3.5% when she got out. That's not true. That was outdated. The most recent poll as she got out put her at 2%. She was down two points. Put Mike Bloomberg at 6%. That was a Harris poll. Mike Bloomberg had three times the support of Kamala Harris, <laughs> and is, no one is voting for him. This is, a ho- this is actually a hopeful thing that I'm, I'm kind of feeling, I know, it's weird, for the Democratic Party is that the candidates who are doing well are the ones who are the least crazy. Yes. Okay, that doesn't mean they're not crazy. They're crazy. Well, the but they're the least crazy. Bernie's. Which is, which is no, but, but if you look at the people who are gaining momentum, it's Buttigieg, right, who's portraying himself as not crazy. He's actually a very nasty human being, which you've seen as soon as the mask and slips. A com- and a complete cynic. And, and a real cynic. And, yeah. and, you know, but the old Pete Buttigieg, the one who sort of is, emer- yeah. the one who, you know, right. is out there with Salvation Army and says he'll eat a Chick-fil-A yeah. and, and pretends that he's a moderate. Like, that guy is a lot less bad for the country than Elizabeth Warren or Bernie you know, Sanders. This is an Biden and, and also Bloomberg, right? Bloomberg, who yeah. we all look at each other and we're like, who the hell supports Michael Bloomberg? No. His first poll from Hill Harris, he's at 6%. He's, and he, he's and leapfrogging he did, everybody. He did yeah. a good, I don't like the guy. He did a good job in New York. Well, he's, he, he's, he he's maintaining Giuliani. Pretty good job. Maintaining Giuliani's yeah, The success. crime rates continued to drop. Yeah, the economic yeah. growth was maintained under, under Bloomberg. Mountain Dew was outlawed. But this is an important point. Chuck Todd was on TV uh, on MSNBC, which is hard to tell the difference between NBC and MSNBC, but he was on saying, you know, what they really, Democrats should really be doing, they should be telling the candidates to stop campaigning so people can pay attention to this riveting uh, impeachment thing. And I thought, like, <laughs> these guys are living in a world that simply yeah. doesn't exist. And the thing is, the voters aren't. The voters live in a world the that doesn't exist. The voters do not care two wits about this impeachment nonsense. Who does? Not two yeah. wits, because yeah. this is all baked in. Yeah. Every single iota of it is baked in. Yep. This yeah. is a sham. So impeachment, impeachment is next up on the docket, because I have a theory. And, and, and also, I have a brainstorm session that I think I want us to all participate in. And I think that the audience will, uh, will find it amusing. But first, as Ben likes to say, if you want to send a Christmas card to the Daily Wire, if you want to tell us we're doing a good job, wish us a happy new year, or tell us to go pound sand, <laughs> you're going to need a stamp. Mm, that's and right. you're not going to want to. <laughs> I was tr- just going to say you're that. not going to drag <laughs> down to the local post office mm. and buy a book of stamps, and they don't sell them at my ATM anymore. <laughs> so you know what you're going to have to do is go down to stamps.com. Benjamin, <laughs> one of the reasons that stamps.com is so fantastic is because as Christmas approaches. And Hanukkah, by the way, and Kwanzaa, and all the other holidays. <laughs> then one of the things that you're going to be doing is you're going to be schlepping over to the post office. You're going to be bringing all of these packages with you in the trunk of your car. They're going to get broken. It's going to be annoying. And then you're going to get a parking ticket, which is what happened last time I was at the post office. So instead, what you should do is you should stay home, and you should just do what we do at The Daily Wire, and you should use stamps.com. They bring you all the services of the U.S. Postal Service directly to your computer. Whether you're a small office sending invoices, an online seller shipping out products, even a warehouse sending thousands of packages a day, stamps.com can handle all of this. With ease, you simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send it. Once your mail is ready, you just hand it to the mail carrier or you drop it in a mailbox. It is indeed that simple. So don't spend a minute of your holiday season at the post office this year. Instead, sign up for stamps.com. There is no risk. With my promo code Shapiro, you get a special offer that includes a four-week trial plus free postage and digital scale. No long-term commitments, no contracts. Using our code, you'll be saving time and you'll be supporting this show and my show and everybody else's show. Go to stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, type in Shapiro. That is stamps.com, enter Shapiro, stamps.com. Never go to the post office again. I always talk about how the government's bad at everything, but <laughs> somehow the government came up with the idea of letting you get stamps on the internet. Yeah, that, that was good. That was good. Stamps.com, man. And they actually, the, the post office does a good job. And, they do. and, and, and to have it in your computer is perfect, yeah. So I want to talk about impeachment. All right. Nancy Pelosi said today that they will move forward with impeachment 
Unpredictable. Who I, predict the <laughs> only Andrew Clavin thought that they wouldn't. No, no, I didn't think they wouldn't. I thought there was a pot. I still think there's a possibility <laughs> they won't actually get get away with it. Yeah. Uh, Do you really? You're crazy. Small. You know, but but you're, you're, from the man who said that Donald Trump's Rocky Balboa picture was genius <laughs> comes his take on impeachment. <laughs> that was but, a, that was a real photo, by the way. Yeah, the the thing I want to talk about is what should the Republican strategy be when this goes to trial in the mm-hmm. Senate? Because there's there's what I've been reading as far as what McConnell and what the Trump administration are thinking. I, I think they are missing it by a mile. I'm horrified yeah. that they're going to that they're going to run this the way that Trump and McConnell want to and blow the greatest political opportunity of a lifetime. So they're talking about we need to wrap. Trump wants to wrap it up in two weeks. Oh, that's a Have mistake. it be super that's short. T- oh, get no. it out of the way. No, no, no. No, they I'm for should... cocaine. Mitch's House of Horrors. They should drag this thing on until Absolutely. election day. Oh my God, that's so true. Oh my. God. I just don't know. Is there anybody in the Senate trolly and delightful enough to understand what this opportunity? You know, cocaine. Speaking, cocaine. speaking yeah. of uh, Sly Stallone here, I think that Lindsey Grambo does have a shot. Lindsey Graham 2.0. He's been pretty trolly ever since. Uh, and you know, co- last and year cocaine, Mitch is is a, a genius. I mean, this is you yeah, got you have cocaine's to, good. They, cocaine they, they got, Mitch is good job. You get what he's good great. At. No, this is this is really what I think. I, I think that it's going to be cocaine, Mitch's house of horrors. They're going to go in there. They're going to call every witness. You know, they're going to subpoena Hunter Joe Biden. And Joe. They're going to subpoena. Uh, yeah. You know, and and remember, you know, John Roberts, who is, uh, you know, you don't have to like him, but he is a sort of. Uh, yeah, he's, he's the worst. Go, he's going to he's going to preside over this in a fair way. You know, nobody's going to be able to say yeah, he's, he's cheating. So, so but, he's. But go- what we're hearing from the administration is that they don't want to do this. That's, they want to yeah. la- it, get through this. Thing I, as quick I, can, as possible. I cannot believe they would do that. I can't believe that that's stupid. I want them to subpoena Schiff. I want them to subpoena Schiff's phone records. I want them then to publicly release Absolutely. Schiff's phone records. Oh, of course, of course. That's the whole point. And besides, you know, uh, this this means that like Elizabeth Warren is going to have to be in the Senate. You know, I mean, this is these are this is an amazing opportunity for them if they yeah. blow this. Republicans and are the, the timing here is pretty interesting because when they announced the formal official impeachment inquiry, it looked like Joe Biden was collapsing, right? It looked like that guy was not going to get the nomination. Now things look a little bit different. Joe Biden is at the center of this whole impeachment probe. They're going to try to get him to testify. He's going to refuse to testify. That's going to be a wonderful week of stories. They're going to drag that derelict Hunter Biden. That's going to be a great week of stories. The Democrats have so miscalculated. Although it it could, I think maybe the calculation for McConnell is, is that if you think that Trump's best shot is basically just look at the Democrats, Right, don't look at Trump, look at the Democrats. Then getting this thing over with and just saying, okay, look at the Democratic candidates. They're all awful. That might be the strategy here. Just get past this, put it back on Elizabeth Warren, put it back on Buttigieg. We're not going to do the impeachment stuff because then the focus is on Trump and then it's all on Ukraine and all this kind of stuff. Also, there is, yep. you, you do run a risk with Joe Biden of having the sort of high dudgeon moment played up by the media where he gets up there and he says, you know, I have one son who died of brain cancer and I have another son who's gone out there and tried to make something of himself. Yes, he's had difficulties, but for you to attack my son in order to come after me in 2020, right? I mean, like that, there could be, listen, we'll all know that a lot of that's BS, but Biden can play that game. And, and I, Biden is it's, it's a high risk, high reward strategy is what you're saying. But then and McConnell but is then, kind of a low risk. But then Biden bites John Roberts' finger in the whole. <laughs> 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 I mean, Joe Biden is legit corrupt. I mean, this thing, this yeah. thing with Hunter Biden was legit corruption. It's the you know, I, I'm not going to go quite that far because what I, what I actually think with Joe Biden is that he is a dad of a crap son. And I think there are a lot of parents who look the other way on their crap kids. 
And I think that that's really what this is. Yeah, it, it, you, it doesn't feel like uh, I don't. I don't. I don't do necessarily. You bring your crap kid on Air Force Two and fly yeah. him over to China. A yeah. lot of people do. Yes. A yeah, lot of maybe, a lot of people, people do. Uh, prop, people, people do, do a prop lot, up their kids. Like people prop up their kids. Well, right? and, well, and, they do, but it is corrupt. When you're the vice president, you can't do that. And when you have a guy, you know, th- th- this was a you know, Trump is right about this. This was a genuinely corrupt thing to do to have this guy, you know, basically taking a sinecure for fifty. What was it, fifty grand a month? Well, is sixty it, so, grand a month. And but the question, the question isn't whether Hunter Biden's corrupt. I mean, I think we all agree that Hunter well, Biden's a piece of crap. I mean, Joe Biden just found out he has a grandkid he didn't know he had until five minutes ago, right? <laughs> I, I mean, like Hunter Biden, by, it's by pretty a obvious. Stripper, right? Doesn't, doesn't well, he was dating his late uh, brother's hey. widow and was still married to his <laughs> wife. As, as one of the only people who didn't vote for the president on the point of two, you guys don't have any room to make these arguments. <laughs> you have any stripper no, no, argument but, you have. <laughs> you know, look, game over, guys. A thrice married lapsed Presbyterian versus Hunter Biden. I don't know. I still no, go but, for But this is the thing about Trump. This is the thing that gets me, that the, the language they use about Trump is so high-pitched. But yeah. the things they get him on, like he said something untoward to the president of Ukraine, and you go like, Really? <laughs> that's, yeah. that's well, the, I mean, this was perfectly obvious when you watched the law professor's testimony yeah, yesterday, so. where you had Jonathan Turley, who's basically, he's not a Republican, he no, doesn't he's, like Trump. He's and, he's, and he's saying what is obviously true, which is, you guys do not have the statutory requirements for bribery, for obstruction of justice. Like, these are, there's no crime here. Right. And it's very obvious there's no actual crime here. It's obvious that, like, Democrats overreached here. Democrats had a strategy that actually could have played for them. They could have just done this whole thing, and then they could have brought forward a censure motion. Yep. And it would have been very difficult for Republicans, because on the one hand, you don't want to look like you're tutting Trump's bad behavior. On the other hand, yeah. if you cross Trump, he's going to tweet about you, and he's going to be mean to you. And so that would have been a smart strategy. They would have Instead, gotten a bipartisan. They would have gotten some bipartisan support. That's right. They would, have got, they would have gotten five or ten Republicans to peel off and vote in favor of censure. Absolutely. And, and then in the, in the Senate, you would have gotten Romney to vote for censure, and Susan Collins to vote for censure, and a few others to vote for censure. That's right. But by going for impeachment, because the overreach is so dramatic, everybody now has an excuse to go, this is not impeachable. This is not even close to impeachable. And watching them trot out a person who was too liberal for Barack Obama's Supreme Court pick to make jokes about Baron Trump in order to to go after- This guy, Noah Feldman, was that his name? Yeah, from Harvard, (laughs) yeah. He wrote a piece praising Sharia law in the New York (laughs) Times. I read it on the air today. There's no way around it. It's a piece of sophistry saying that Sharia law is essentially better than Western jurisprudence. That- that's who they bring in to tell us that, you know. Like, he also wrote a piece from the New York Times Magazine in 2017 talking about all the different ways to impeach Trump in 2017. Yes, that's right. That's right. right. So, I mean, it's perfectly obvious what they were doing here. Yeah. And so that's why when Nancy Pelosi got up there, her dentures are moving, and started talking about how <laughs> President Trump, we were, we were seriously considering whether or not to do this. But then these law professors testified, and my mind was blown. And then, <laughs> and then, and then, and then James Rosen says to her, so this isn't about you hating Trump. And she goes, as a Catholic, I'm so insulted. Yeah, you and Mother Teresa. Let me, let me. You, know who she, you know who she reminded me of in that moment, you guys? You know who she reminded me oh. of? Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> so, me, can I ask? Can there's some I, idiot, by the way. That is a reference. There's some I, idiot on Twitter. Yeah, Christopher Hill yes, said right. that he... So, novel, novelist-wise, I'm looking at Nancy Pelosi, and to me, she looks like a person in a vice. I saw that that press conference and I thought that looks like a woman who has been pushed off a building and is falling <laughs> and it's like how's it going okay so far you know yeah. I mean, like, she looks like she's in a panic I mean she has As been she pushed into be. something this is the reason she couldn't I mean, even string together a complete sentence she when she was asked that question yeah I mean she they, like people clipped it so you only saw the end when she was in very high dudgeon right as a Catholic I'm very insulted by the way I one of my pet peeves and I'm not a Christian but as a Jew when people do this it drives me up a wall and you're the Catholic in the room as a Catholic I have to imagine it's sort of annoying 
when a person who's in favor of abortion on demand, men becoming women, <laughs> and governmentally sponsored same-sex marriage is going, as a Catholic, I'm offended that you used the word hate with regard to me and President Trump. And then she's like, I'm praying for Trump. Yeah, I imagine so. I imagine that every night Nancy Pelosi gets down on her knees in her room and puts her hands together and prays for the health and happiness <laughs> she didn't and say repentance that. She didn't say that. of Donald she's Trump. She's praying like, please kill this man. No, Nancy no, I think, she, I think she does. But the problem is then she can't get back up. <laughs> <laughs> I want to talk about our pals over at Bravo Company Manufacturing. When the founders crafted the Constitution, first thing they did uh, was to make sacred the rights of the individual to share their ideas. And we take robust advantage of those <laughs> right here without limitation by their government. That's the First Amendment. Then they came up with a way to protect the First Amendment, and that is with the second. Second right they enumerated, the right of the population to protect that speech and their own persons with force. The Second Amendment is my favorite of the two. I make all my money off the first, though, so I'm grateful <laughs> there's one to protect it. But the people who make their money off the second are the folks over at Bravo Company yes. Manufacturing. Owning a rifle is an awesome responsibility, and building rifles is no different. Started in a garage by a Marine veteran more than two decades ago, Bravo Company Manufacturing, BCM for short, Builds a professional-grade product, which is built to combat standards. The folks who run BCM are amazing patriots. They are great people. And they are people who are doing a lot of good for the country. To learn more about Bravo Company Manufacturing, you can head on over to bravocompanymfg.com. You can discover more about their products, special offers, mm -hmm. upcoming news. They design, engineer, manufacture life-saving equipment. It ain't about hunting. It ain't about target shooting. It is about making sure that you can protect your own life when it comes down to it. That's bravocompanymfg.com. If you need more convincing, find out even more about BCM and the fantastic people who make their products at youtube.com slash bravocompanyusa. They are badass and they make a great product. Bravocompanymfg.com. That's right. Michael, you had something to offer about Nancy Pelosi. I, yes, Nancy, on your point. You're the Catholic. Go. Yeah. Go Catholic. Says, As a Catholic. <laughs> Nancy Pelosi should be excommunicated for yeah. her participation in abortion. Other people have been excommunicated for this. You saw there was a priest just the other day who withheld the Immunity Eucharist from, Biden, from yeah. Joe Biden. It's an unbelievably brazen move to say this today. She said it because she was desperate, and she said it because she knows the bishops don't have a backbone. Yeah, mm. it was, it was, I was amazed that she went there, honestly. And, I, and then the media just gushing about it. Oh, she stood up for herself. Slay, queen. Slay. And I thought, you know, last time there was a Catholic who was being attacked, and he was being attacked for no good reason at all, yeah. and he got angry. They're like, unfit. His name was Justice Kavanaugh. He's yeah, currently sitting right. on the Supreme Court. He was slandered with allegations that he raped somebody on the basis of no evidence. Yeah. And he got mad about it because somebody suggested that he was a rapist, mm -hmm. and he got angry, and they're like, he got mad. He shouldn't be on the Supreme Court. <laughs> Somebody said to her, do you hate Trump? And she's like, I'm so offended as a Catholic that you would say I hate anyone. I love everyone, including the little children, at least the ones who are born. All the other ones can die. But, uh, and, like, but, you, but you know who Brad Kavanaugh doesn't remind me of? I think that, Drew, you brought up the fact that she looks like she's on the ropes. I think you're right. I think that she knows that her legacy now is going to be that she is that she presided over the impeachment of someone for nothing, right? And that not only is it going to end in nothing, it's going to end very likely in uh, electoral failure for them. And not only that, they're so far over their skis. I'm not sure that Adam Schiff hasn't broken the law pursuing this thing. Well, that's what Jonathan Turley's point was really well taken. That first of all, they're setting a standard that Republicans, as we know, and Republicans will do this. They'll 
they'll go after the next president who's a Democrat yes. on the same grounds, and no one will be able to say them nay. And the fact that the press will rush to their defense uh, to rush to attack them is not going to uh, is not going to wash. Turley Turley was really good. You know, he well, sounded like an America. It was like this lost voice of America, yeah. a guy saying, "I don't like Trump, but that's not the point. The point is the well, Constitution." He was being a lawyer, our, our right? I mean, everybody yeah. else up there was being an activist, yeah. and I understand that. Ooh, they have magic degrees from Harvard. Well, guess what? Guess <laughs> no, what? Look, look yeah, if we were impressed right, by that, I mean, like, but, you know, like come on. <laughs> and and the fact is that what he was saying that there is no statutory crime that's been committed, and that the the, the, the dead giveaway the Democrats have nothing. Really, the dead giveaway is that in their little impeachment document that Schiff put together at a moment's notice there was a charge for obstruction of justice. Now, to understand how idiotic this is, you really have to understand how subpoenas work. So the press are under the wild misimpression that if I am a member of Congress and I subpoena you and you say no, you have now violated the law and obstructed justice. Mm -hmm. This is a lie. There's a whole third branch of government. It's called the judiciary. Mm -hmm. right, and right. if I subpoena you and you say no, and then I go to the judiciary and I say, no, you need to show up, or you go to the judiciary and you say, no, I don't want to show up, and then the judiciary says, no, you have to show up. And then you say, no, I'm not coming. That's right. That's obstruction that of justice. That was Turley's point. Is right. That, that's exactly Turley's point. Right? He was being court. a lawyer. Yeah. And, and the fact is that the fact, the fact that Democrats even put that in the document right. is demonstrative of just how empty and stupid this entire thing is. They are, they are grasping at straws. I mean, that, that quote from Schiff over the last 48 hours where he was asked, well, why don't you just wait to talk to, you know, like the actual people who are in the room? Right. So far, they've interviewed, what, eight, 12 witnesses, something like that. Right. Only one has ever had a conversation with Trump. It was Gordon Sondland. Right. And Sondland did not provide them the evidence they needed for That's intent, right. it, requisite it, to commit bribery. In fact, what did he say? He <laughs> said, I spoke to Trump on the phone, and Trump said, no quid pro quo. I want no quid pro quo. Right, exactly. And so he didn't give them what they needed. They could wait. They could wait for Giuliani. They could wait for Mulvaney. They could wait for Bolton. They could wait for Pence. There are a bunch of people who talked directly to Trump about this specific issue. They could right. wait for it. And they asked Schiff about it. And Schiff's take was, well, we can't. We don't need to wait for the facts. Yeah, you're damn right you don't need to wait for the facts right. because you don't you understand you ain't got nothing. And, and not only that, they know that after a certain point, the electorate is going to say, well, you know, the, the election's coming up. Why can't we decide? But that's what the Democrats don't yeah. want. That's the whole thing they hate about Donald Trump is that he is the guy who came in, the, who was sent by basically the, the forgotten people to say, you know what? Here's a guy. You, you know how you've been calling us racist and you've been calling us sexist? Here's a guy who's going to call you names. There are two amazing quotes from Democratic congressmen that show you the whole impeachment game. One is Adam Schiff, who said, Trump poses a grave threat to the country if we wait for all the facts to come out. Yeah. They don't have any facts, yeah. as you pointed out on Twitter today. Yeah. And the second one is from Representative Al Green, who said, I fear that if we don't impeach this president, that he will get reelected. Yeah. And that's what they're really worried right. about. By the way, can, can we note for a second, I mean, it's, it's a change of topic, but I just want to note that the fall of Elizabeth Warren has been wonderful to watch. Oh, yeah. That oh. in the last month, her poll numbers have just got like she she climbed gradually and her descent has not been nearly as gradual. I mean, it is a steep descent. The more people see of Elizabeth Warren, the less they like her. And you know but what you can trace it? You trace it to that health care right. release, yep. which, which is it shows such a lie. The Democrats have been saying we win on health care. We win by releasing our radical health care plans. Well, look at Elizabeth Warren because she's been tanking ever since. And, and, I, and I, it speaks to what you were saying before is the electorate looked at that and said, that's a bad plan. Right. <laughs> oh, yeah. well, I mean, the, the people who are gaining right now, like Klobuchar is gaining in New Hampshire. Mm -hmm. Buttigieg is doing well in New Hampshire and in Iowa. Biden is still leading nationally. The only Bloomberg is doing OK nationally. Mm -hmm. The only people who have a prayer at getting the nomination right now are people who are either quasi-moderate or masquerading as moderates. Those are the only people. And honestly, I think that's kind of hopeful for the country because my hope was it would be nice if we had two parties that were fighting at least in the realm of reality, like in the general realm. I'm not saying like on the right side of reality, but like anywhere in the, in the general universe of reality. Like I would rather have a, a Biden versus Trump election because again, I think that Biden is not 
trying to fundamentally destroy the bases of the country in the same way as Elizabeth Warren. Like, I think that he'd be horrible. I think he'd be a bad president. I don't want him to be president. But he's not nearly as dangerous as as people who are out there proclaiming loudly that they're going to rip away. Listen, if it's Joe Biden, you can't. We're not going to be able to say this is the most important election of our lifetime. I agree. Frankly, it'll be the first election of our lifetime where you won't be able to say that it's not the most important. <laughs> we'll all still say it, but you're right. It yeah, won't yeah, be. As it won't be a flight ninety three. Flight ninety three election. Whatever else you say about Trump, aside from his affect, aside from the way the way he talks, he's been a kind of moderate Republican president in terms of in terms of what he's accomplished. You know, I just don't understand why her health care plan wasn't more aspirational. Like I feel like if she had come out and said. Have you ever heard the wolf cry? <laughs> People would have. You know, I, I would have lined up just why, to hear the rest of the why song. Did, yeah. Why didn't Kamala Harris never do that? What? Why, really? Why? Why didn't she ever? I don't understand. I do not understand. For the life of me, why didn't she ever turn to Elizabeth Warren on that stage yeah. and say, "Listen, it's a black woman in America who's experienced discrimination, had to live in a, in, a, in a time when the vestiges of segregation were still present in America. How could you, Elizabeth Warren, claim for thirty years of your career?" that you were a member of a put-upon minority group when you experienced every benefit of white privilege. Like, how has no one yeah. in the Democratic Party done that? Kamala Harris, like, how did she never do that? She goes her entire campaign without doing that? You she, the only she's not she's afraid to stage. attack. She attacked Biden on race On both, right? I mean, the on trouble with nonsense. The, po- the trouble with the Pocahontas attack is it's now identified as a Trump attack. That's right. Trump has well, totally that, that is the whole, They have the big problem with this. Every time somebody yeah. says something sensible, they say, well, that's a GOP talking point. <laughs> you think it's also the truth, yeah. you know? And, and, and by the way, it's, an effect, it's effective yeah. even among Democrats because you saw this with regard exactly to Elizabeth Warren's health care plan is that Buttigieg would say, like, that's not realistic or Klobuchar would say, that's not realistic. Right. And then somebody like Julian Castro would jump and say, that's a Republican talking point. And then Elizabeth Warren would tank in the polls. Yeah. Because it yeah. turns out that some of those Republican talking points are talking points because they're true. <laughs> <laughs> because they're true. No, this is like the Fox News meme where they say, well, that's just Fox News. And you, is it the truth or not? You know, I mean, some, some things on Fox News aren't true. Some things are true. You know, Speaking you of Fox say, News, by the way, uh, so I have a friend who watched this new Fox News movie, this bombshell. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, it said it was pretty terrible. Yeah. Um, I have to just say, I am so deeply irritated with Hollywood. They've yeah. now made two separate mm-hmm. Fox News films. Bothers me too. Yeah. Right? They made one for HBO, and they made this this thing with with all of the big stars in it, with uh, Charlize Theron and Nicole Kidman. Yeah. And have they made? Has there been any production deal on a Harvey Weinstein film? Which no, is the thing that led this entire thing. Not, about not just this. This this, this thing dr- drives me crazy. George Stephanopoulos worked for Bill Clinton, silencing women who said they were raped and abused. Okay, that's what he did for Bill. That was his job. That was his job. Now he's the top ABC newsman. ABC killed the Jeffrey Epstein story during the Hillary Clinton Who did campaign. not kill himself. And, and, yeah, who did not kill himself. They oh, that killed, Jeffrey. They, they, spiked, they spiked the Jeffrey Epstein story. And then when after the person who released the fact that they spiked it, not the person who spiked it, they said they didn't say, oh, we're going to find the person who spiked that story and fire him. They said, we're going to spike it. We're going to find the person who released the story that, this, that the Epstein Wait. story spiked and find her. And, and are you also uh, getting to that, that point that came out in the new book about Epstein, that George Stephanopoulos was friends with Jeffrey Epstein? Are you went, also... He, he, went, he went to the guy's party. <laughs> yeah. I mean, no, this is, this is an amazing yeah. thing, an amazing act of corruption that CBS fired yeah. a, a, an innocent woman, it turned out for maybe releasing the fact that they had spiked the story. This, it drives me crazy, this fact that they were raping little girls. I mean, not little girls, they're raping teenage girls. Yes. And this guy was doing this en masse. He was doing it like a factory. Bill Clinton was involved. Prince Andrew was involved. These, these major people. And the press covered it up. And it drives me nuts. And they're making pictures. Okay, Roger Ailes, I'm sure he did bad things. 
I'll take. When's one. the Matt Lauer movie, by the way? What's yeah. When's the Matt Lauer movie, by the and way? The Matt Lauer movie too. I mean, I know. It's in development, I think. It's not it's, yeah, not yeah, greenlit. But what we're saying, but what's nice is at the Oscars we'll get a bunch of lectures from Hollywood where this entire thing originated. Just like last year, we'll get an entire lecture yeah. about how the rest of the American people do not understand how women are put upon in this country and let these people women. Who sexually harass people every single we uh, who sexually harass women and originated the casting couch let us explain to you the there american is an people actual sculpture of the casting couch of the casting couch at hollywood and highland uh, <laughs> it's unbelievable you can't make it <laughs> look it's already december as much as we love getting seasonal around here you can tell we're very uh, tis the season this month can also be a bit stressful it's hard to cross things off of your list, uh, your to-do list before the holidays. If life insurance happens to be one of those things that's way down your list, Policy Genius might be able to help you cross it off a little early. So we've got some good news. Are you thinking about death? Well, if you're not thinking about death, <laughs> now you are because I've said the word, death. Now that you're thinking about death, why don't you go get some life insurance then you don't have to think about death anymore. The best way to take care of this particular problem is to go to policygenius.com. Policy Genius makes finding the right life insurance a breeze. In minutes, you can compare quotes from the top insurers and find your best price. You could save $1,500 or more a year by using Policy Genius to compare life insurance policies. Once you apply, the Policy Genius team will handle all the paperwork and the red tape. Policy Genius doesn't just do life insurance, they do. Home insurance, auto insurance, disability insurance, they're your one-stop shop for insurance. So if insurance doesn't excite you, good news. You don't have to spend that much time on it. Go over to policygenius.com right now. And if you need life insurance because you're a responsible human being who wants to make sure your family is taken care of in case you plot, it only takes a few minutes to find the right life insurance policy, apply, and cross another thing off that to-do list. Policy Genius, when it comes to life insurance, it is indeed nice to get it right and to use the vast powers of the free market, objected to by some in order to go check out policygenius.com and get the best life insurance deal. Yeah, giving your family a little peace of mind and security is probably not the worst Christmas gift you could, uh, you could consider. By the way, Alicia, did you see John Kerry? Sorry, quickly. Now, did you see John Kerry endorse Joe Biden today? Come on. He did. It was great. It was like, which was very exciting because when one dead person endorses another dead person, and <laughs> times are at hand. Yes. And it, it's great for me because I actually do a fairly good joke, John Kerry impersonation. And yeah. so I rarely get to break it out anymore, right? Because he's never in the news. No. It's very sad when you actually work to craft a good impersonation. When you and watch the person... so much Gilligan's Island that you can totally <laughs> you can turn it's like, John Kerry, reporting for duty. I'm here to endorse The pinnacle Joe of the Biden. Weekly Standard. The pinnacle of the Weekly Standard was when, uh, when, he, when Kerry got nominated. They just put his face on the cover, and the headline was, Why the Long Face? <laughs> <laughs> Alicia. Speaking of people who get Botox, <laughs> let's circle back to Hollywood real quick. I mean, seriously, that was the thing that was the most obvious to me about that Joe Biden telling that guy he was a fatso. The Botox is, like, crazy. I need to find out who his doctor is. All right. This I next think, subscriber question. I think question. it's just embalming fluid. At this, <laughs> <laughs> this next question comes from a great Daily Wire subscriber who wants to know, how is it that Hollywood can get totally totalitarian regimes, you know, big bad government with dystopian sci-fi so right, yet seem oblivious to the their leftist political side being likely to cause so, like uh, that in the actual future. Because stories conform to reality. Great stories conform to reality. And the people who work in Hollywood are very talented, many of them, and tell good stories. And stories conform to reality. Unfortunately, the people who tell stories don't always conform to reality. So that yeah. if, you, if you watch every great movie, every truly great movie has a conservative theme. Conservative in the way we talk about conservatism. Right. Yeah. In being, being in service to reality. You mean truth. The truth. That's right. Yeah. You're, you cannot yeah. tell. This is, this is where the left has gone totally wrong, by the way. The left had this theory, and they've been pushing this theory since I was a kid, that there's no such thing as truth. 
there's only storytelling. There's only narrative. And people actually say this. They say, well, if you change the narrative, you change the reality. But that's not true. As a lifelong, as, a, as one of the very few people on earth who has made a living telling stories, I can tell you that stories are responsible to the truth and they express truth. And if they don't express truth, people come out of the theater and think that wasn't a good movie. So, they don't know why it's a good, not a good movie. I think, there, it's not. I think there's a reason why. So I've been, I've been working on a new book, which is going to come out next August, hopefully. And I'm really pumping through it. And one of the chief assumptions of the progressive left, and this has been true for a couple of hundred years, is the idea of unlimited human malleability. Yeah. That if the system were just changed, everybody would become glorious, we'd all love each other, and that all of the problems in modern society, all disparities are attributable to the evils of society. If we would just change the system, then everybody would magically transform right. into angels. They don't believe in the founding idea that if men were angels, you wouldn't need any government. If men were devils, then no government would be sufficient. They, they don't believe the idea that human beings are sinful, but we have the capacity to fight our sin using our reason and our will, which is a religious concept. They don't believe any of that. They actually believe the idea that human beings are basically clay that are molded by the systems in which they live, which is a Rousseau idea. Well, all story cannot survive on that premise because all stories are told about characters. And every character that you know, every single person you, you know has characteristics. Characteristics are by nature somewhat immutable. Right? James Bond has characteristics. Yeah. If James Bond were to suddenly become you know, incredibly effeminate, and unable to shoot a gun. He wouldn't be James Bond anymore. Be he wouldn't James be interested. He'd be yeah. not James Bond. And so every movie that you've ever watched is about characters who are real human beings, who are human beings. Because every human being you know is not capable of magically shape-shifting and turning into something, at least not in terms of their persona. I, I, and, and, yeah. so, and so because human nature is fixed in movies, because it has to be, in order for characters to have character arc or even to be characters, that means that you immediately have to be living in a conservative universe. You know, I, I used to have a a priest uh, in the Episcopal Church who was a corrupt guy, and I knew he was a corrupt guy, and he used to say people are infinitely malleable. Who was his hero? Dietrich Bonhoeffer. Hmm. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who sat in New York smoking cigarettes and thinking, I have to go back to Germany because I have to face Hitler, and died doing that because he wasn't infinitely malleable. He had guts and he had integrity and he had principles, and he lived those principles out. And so the thing is, yeah. the story of Dietrich Bonhoeffer moved this guy, but he was still capable of holding this absolutely conflicting theory, which is the theory that you say, that people are infinitely malleable, and of course they're not. You know? Great question. Alicia, give yeah. us another one. All right. I feel like I know what Ben and Drew might teach if they were professors, but this question <laughs> is for all of you guys. If you could choose a college course in anything you wanted to teach, what would it be and why? Obviously, uh, political and historical writing. I would probably uh, talk about book-length uh, works, that say maybe teach the uh, succinct economy of words, and I would not show up and prepare anything, and that would be the whole course. What I would, what I would like, what I would like to teach, what I would most like to teach, the thing I'm most interested in, is theology. And and I actually do believe that I know much more about most uh, college subjects than most college professors today. And yet I am in no way qualified to teach any of these things mm -hmm. at colleges. That's uh, more an indictment of the university system as we have it today. <laughs> Drew, you got to teach at a college this last year. I did. I really had a great time. I mean, I was at Hillsdale, so it was a great college. And I taught about covering the culture. And it was just fascinating to, to watch, you know, the kids really responded to it. They really liked the, the course, which was very gratifying, but they liked it because I was saying things like, you know, when you read a newspaper, you can see the way they're manipulating stories. But if it were up to me, I would teach literature and I'd probably teach uh, romantic poetry. I think that this is, that the British romantics, the English romantics were 
a, a highly important moment. They lived in a time very much like ours when a revolution had inspired people and then failed. For them, it was the French Revolution. For us, it's the 60s. They had to rebuild the world in the wake of that revolution, and they still had people who were saying, like we have, oh, the revolution was the great thing, and then they had guys like Wordsworth who were saying, wait a minute, that didn't work out very well, and they excoriated Wordsworth while he became one of the great minds of the time. So that's what I would just like to teach them. I think they're incredibly relevant. I think their writing is so insanely beautiful, and I think they were doing something really important that speaks into the moment. Well, the fact that, that Drew wants to teach poetry explains why he's still in favor of the university system. Uh, <laughs> the only place that would pay anyone to actually teach poetry. Not this but, university. Yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, for me... Um, the, the thing that I'd be interested in teaching about would be the ideals of the founding era, because I think they are wildly misinterpreted. I think people lie about them. And I think that those ideals still provide the glue that holds the country together. Now, admittedly, I'm writing a book on this right now. So, it's, so that's what's for, first and what's foremost on in my mind. But the fact is that the more you investigate what exactly was going through the founding father's head, what their influences were, what exactly were the chief ideals upon which they were resting the building of the greatest country in the history of humanity, the, the more you realize that these were eternal principles. And the great lie that the left has told is that these principles were not eternal, that they were written just for the time. There's a sort of historicist approach to the American founding, that all of this was built for a time that's no longer relevant. You see this in the writings of Woodrow Wilson, yeah, right, we're, who, who we're really talking, talked a yeah. lot about the idea that the American founding, you know, what they said about government, that was applicable then. But human nature has changed, and the economy has changed. And you see this with left, the left very often when they talk about economics. Well, the economic system has fundamentally changed. You hear this even from some people on the right. I think Tucker Carlson does this. The economic system has fundamentally changed because of technology and because of globalization and free trade. And one of the things that the, the, founding, the founders made clear is that they were basing their philosophy not on the contingencies of historical circumstance. They were basing it on their view of eternal, immutable human nature. And that view is what provided the basis for a capitalist free market system, particularly in economics, because free market systems are not systems that are built by man to serve us. They are just a manifestation of the idea that you own your own labor and that you as a human being have rights that pre-exist government. And those rights, because they pre-exist government, are more important than the government. And if the government does not exist to protect those rights, the government has completely des destroyed its rationale for being in the first place. Free markets are simply a, a recognition of human nature and of human rights. They're not a system that is built. And because the left believes that every system is built and because the left wants to build systems and because they've engaged in what Hayek called the fatal conceit, which they get a bunch of smart people in the room and they can rule the world and they can put together all the smart ideas. That's never been true. It will never be true. And the founders knew that, which is why the system they built has been durable and, and successful. Mm -hmm. yeah. So I would like to teach about economics if I knew anything about it. <laughs> uh, I will say this, though. You know, I, I just got back from uh, being in, in Egypt and it's a very unbelievable country. If anybody has the opportunity to go, you should. Uh, it's safe. You know, they had the revolution back in 2011. Their tourism has really suffered, but the, the military and the police do a really good job of making sure that American tourists are, are safe to visit as long as you stay, you know, stay in the places you're supposed to be. And, and you see these monuments, 5,000. I mean, you can't really wrap your head around. Uh, and, and I, in another forum, I have an awful lot to say about it from a religious point of view. I had a, a lot of great uh, kind of realizations there. The, the fact that Egypt is so central to uh, Judaism is so central to Christianity in ways that I think Jews and Christians sometimes Mess. omit, uh, miss. Um, those are things that, again, in, a, in another form, it'd be a lot of fun for the four of us to talk about. But I did have an economic realization when I was there because, you know, it's at the intersection of the Middle East and Africa. It's a, a country where the military owns everything that has value. And so the average person lives in third world uh, conditions. And if you've ever visited the third world, there are a lot of things that all third world countries have in common. One of them is there's there's literal garbage everywhere. 
there's rubble everywhere because no one is invested in improving their surroundings. People have a kind of hopelessness, a kind of fatalism, and they don't take those kinds of actions in third world countries. Uh, and the other thing that they have in all third world countries, and I actually find it kind of a shame when you talk to Americans about it, they often say that it's one of the charming things mm -hmm. about visiting these countries really? is that they have a kind of barter system. Mm. But you know, we haggle, oh, I bought this little Chotsky, but we, and we bar we bartered for her, we haggled over the price. And they wanted two American dollars and I only gave them one American dollar and it was so much fun. That is why they're poor. This is the thing that upsets me is when you, when you sort of reduce people down to being uh, cultural novelties instead of treating them like humans. The, the worst idea ever had by man, and it's been had by almost every man who ever lived, is that there is a fixed amount of money. And therefore, in order for you to win, I would have to lose. And in order for me to win, you would have to lose. And when you visit third world countries, you really experience this, that in almost every human interaction, there is an element of competition. That they're trying to get you to do something that isn't in your interest. They, they, because they don't feel that they've won unless they also feel that you've lost. This is why when you go into third world countries, people get killed at cell phone kiosks in the mall. That doesn't happen in America because when you go to a cell phone kiosk in the mall, the cell phone says $2.99 on a price tag. And if you say, hey, I'll give you $1.99, the guy goes, no, I mean, it's written right there, $2.99. That forces you to make a moral decision, really. Uh, uh, not a moral, but a value-based decision. Is that phone worth more to me than the $299 that are in my pocket? The $299 in my pocket are worth more to Verizon than the phone, which they have. And therefore, when you enter into that transaction, everyone is made richer. Verizon got what they valued more. I got what I valued more. We're both happy. But when you go uh, into the third world, one of the things that happened to us where we were at the pyramid, somebody came up, they wanted to sell me this, this uh, hat. My friend, my friend, my friend, no thank you. My friend, but my friend, only, only $1. No, no thank you, I don't need a hat. My friend, my friend, one, for, for you, only $1. No, I appreciate it. Then he just put the hat on my head. <laughs> and now he wins. Because he put the hat on my head. I have engaged in the transaction. I wasn't strong enough to beat him. And now he holds out his hand to get his $1. He is happy because he won and I lost. Mm. He's happy because he was able to force me to engage in a transaction that I did not want to take part in. And he, and he got his. I lost. He won. And I think when, you know, because you're an American and you actually just want to kind of move <laughs> along and take a picture with a camel... So you just give the guy the dollar at a certain point. You're like, whatever, dude. I got plenty of $1. Here, have $1. You move about your business. He walks away thinking, these Americans are so weak. He let me put a hat on his hand and extract from him the $1. What he doesn't understand is that, no, I am, I am completely flush with $1. I could buy these hats until <laughs> Santa Claus comes Man, down the I'm chimney. lousy with I'm Egyptian lousy hats. with $1. Uh, and the reason I'm lousy with $1 is because I don't believe in your idea that, that economies are fixed, that money is fixed. I don't believe that I have to lose in order for you to win. And because of that, we've created the entire modern world. And I only bring all of this up basically to humble brag that I was in Egypt. <laughs> <laughs> but I also bring it up because you see it in America. And you see it more and more in America. You see it sometimes with immigrant communities. If you go to a car wash or something that's owned by first-generation Americans, sometimes they'll pull this. Uh, you know, how, how much for a car wash? For you, my friend. And I'm like, no, we're not friends. No, for you, my friend. How much does it cost? I just want to determine whether or not it's worth my investment. And I want you not to be one up in me. I don't want you to feel like you want. I want to decide whether or not I give you money and you give me service. But you don't just see it with first 
first-generation Americans, the entire premise of almost every candidate uh, at these Democrat debates this is, exactly is this premise. No, I agree with you. There's an article in the New York Times today yes. in which Elizabeth Warren was saying that taxing rich people will be good for the economy just because you're taxing them. I know. She well, literally, literally says that. in the piece, you, know, you, you know, don't have to spend this, the money in any way. This is Just going, hurting rich people is, is somehow going to help the, the economy. the idea of stories and truth, because money is a story about the truth of value. Yes. And so it's it's infinite. There's infinite amount of money if there's infinite value. And that's and that's right. the thing. And what they don't understand is this, it's a kind of idolatry. What idolatry is is taking the story for the fact. That's what it is. It's taking the it's taking the idol for the god. It's right. taking the money for the value. And once you understand that these things represent a truth, and the that's truth right. is immutable, then you're actually in a whole new world. And, you and when you stand yeah. in Egypt, or you know, when you stand at the foot of these monuments that are five thousand years old yeah. that, that literally defy imagination. It's actually fairly humbling because yep. what it tells us is mankind was capable of doing this 3,000 years before well, Christ. If when Cleopatra, Shapiro's ancestors. Yeah. When, <laughs> when, when Cleopatra looked upon the pyramid, we think of Cleopatra and the Sphinx and the pyramid. And the, yeah. When Cleopatra looked at the pyramid, it was older to her eyes yeah. than Cleopatra is to our eyes now. Yeah. Right. It, it would be shorter for us to get to her than it would be. They were capable of doing this 5,000 years ago. And then the bad idea set in. And that culture has not created anything in the last, really, 2,500 years. Why? Why were they capable of creating the greatest wonders that the world had ever known, and now they're now it's just rubble and ruin and tragedy? And it's because of this bad idea. Uh, you can only extract so much value before you run out of value. You, Extractive right. value has a limit. Non-extractive value has no limit. Created value is limited. Created value. Absolutely. I'll tell you one more thing about being in Egypt. Is uh, Hold on, I, were you in Egypt? I was in Egypt. Oh, <laughs> I you were okay. Egypt. When I was in Egypt, Egypt, and I was in Egypt, my uh, Netflix account got hacked. What? <laughs> yeah. And when you are when you live, even even I, who only sort of am tangentially involved in public life, the first thing you think is, oh, crap, what did I been watching? What's my history going to reveal? What's going to wind up on the internet? I was uh, watching The Irishman, weren't you? Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah it's not good, good, by the way. Yeah. It, it was a reminder to me yet again to use ExpressVPN. <laughs> when you were traveling, yep. especially, you have to protect your data. The best way to do that is to use a VPN, and the best VPN is ExpressVPN. It's ExpressVPN. There's no question about it. And this is such an obvious product for the people who are listening to this show, okay? Because if you're listening to this show, you probably check out some pretty weird stuff on the old <laughs> internet, huh? You open up that incognito window, type in www. Drudge Report. Drudge Report. <laughs> you look at some pretty scandalous stuff. So you got to get it. It's, I, I know what everyone thinks, because I used to think this. I think nobody wants my data. No, who cares about my data? Little old me. They do. A lot of people want your data. A lot of people are looking at it. It costs. In your case, the HR department. In, <laughs> every single day. You got to make sure you protect your data. The way to do that is ExpressVPN. ExpressVPN is unparalleled in protecting your data. I've, I've been using ExpressVPN for a couple of years, and I know the wages of not using ExpressVPN because actually I had my credit card hacked a couple of years ago, mm -hmm. and somebody bought a bunch of NFL tickets. And I thought to myself, well, good for them. I mean, at least that's a solid person. But still, I wasn't super happy about it. And I thought, ExpressVPN. That'll probably do the trick, and it has. So the only question is, why have you not gotten ExpressVPN yet? Visit our special link right now at expressvpn.com slash Ben and get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free. Protect your internet today with the VPN I trust to keep my data safe, and all the rest of us do too. Go to expressvpn.com slash Ben to get started. Again, that's a pretty good deal. You get an extra three months of ExpressVPN for free, and basically you install it on your computer or your phone. It takes one click, and now it just runs in the background of your computer. keeps everything safe. You never have to think about it again. Expressvpn.com slash Ben to get started. So... We warned you that a guest was coming. 
He is the godfather of successful podcasts. We have admired him for a long time. Ben and I actually hosted him at one of the very first political uh, events that we had at it's our true. first failed our first failed website, which is a precursor <laughs> to this, our enormously successful. <laughs> uh, he is also he, uh, he co-stars alongside me in a new film called No Safe Spaces. Everybody here has seen everybody here has seen the movie. If you watch it slowly, if you don't take a bathroom break, you will see Jeremy boring himself, lowercase G, lowercase K, God King, uh, walking the halls of Congress. Beside the guy they were pointing the camera at. As your co-star in this movie, I would point out, there are about 30 frames of this film where you, if you squint really hard, you can see me. So you got to go check it out. Yeah, but Adam Carolla, on the other hand, <laughs> exactly. the whole film's the lousy with Adam. <laughs> <laughs> the film is called No Safe Spaces. It was made uh, by a, our friend Justin Folk, who's a terrific, talented director. He, in, in his own way, is the godfather of our business because yep. he created he some me. of the very first uh, Andrew <laughs> videos. Right. Uh, no Safe Spaces is opening up nationwide in theaters tomorrow. And Adam is here to talk to us about it. But first, we're going to show you this delightful trailer. You have the right to remain silent. Anything you say will be used against you. You are not listening. I want your job to be taken from you. A protest has turned violent at California, Berkeley. This is why we're fighting for the soul of America. You should be able to share ideas without fear of being fired from your job or shouted down. You are not to be heard. This is one of the few things one could say we have no precedent for in the United States. You have the right to remain silent. The only way we separate the good ideas from the bad ideas is to be free to say whatever we want about them. Anything you say will be used against you. It's a fantastic film. It opens tomorrow. And Adam, thanks for stopping by to talk to us. Thanks Good for having me. How did you just materialize Yeah, it was that? amazing. Yeah, incredible. <laughs> Jeremy, you've gotten uh, so much more handsome. <laughs> <laughs> I went full Dr. Bombay, if you guys remember watching Bewitched. <laughs> <laughs> In the middle of a polo match. Remember that? He's always somewhere. That's yes. Awesome. <laughs> Tell us a little bit about the film. We've all had the opportunity to see it and love it, but uh, the audience obviously hasn't. I'll, I'll tell you a little inside baseball story that was yeah. reminding of when I was uh, thinking. Uh, you know, we spoke in front of Congress at, at the same time, and Ben is, is an A student. And I am a horrible, <laughs> wretched student from North Hollywood High. And, but you get older and, you know, you get successful and you think, you know, you have some nice cars, a nice home and a nice bank account. You think You're, you can do this. And I flew out on a like Wednesday night, red eye kind of thing, landed. We had to hit it early in the morning. And of course, I was going to work on this on the airplane, but I had a few drinks. What are you going to do? You know, watched three episodes of TJ Hooker, like fell asleep, and then showed up the next morning, and there was Ben, like typed pages, single space, a minute a page. And he was like the A student. And I had a steno pad with like arrows going like, no, do this one first. And like a pirate drawing on here. And, and I like, hate him, Adam. And then they're like, going, they go, 
I'm going like, what's the order? What's the order? And I go, oh, you're going after Ben. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I was in the ninth grade, and I was a crappy student, and you were doing the oral presentation before me, and I was like, I literally was 14 years old. Uh, Adam, I, I want to know, since maybe we could break some news here, did you at least give Ben a swirly after this? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he did, he did, it did work out exactly like it probably worked out in high school, which is I, I gave the, e pres the A presentation, and you made everybody laugh, and nobody gave a crap. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And no girls. And you tried to from a dick out. for some reason. You just sort of held one up. I didn't know why. It was, so, it was in the congressional yeah, record he, and everything. He, he knocked it out of the park, like didn't inhale his entire day. No commas or pauses. And I remember going, come on, dude. And then I was, yeah, but I got a few laughs and, and, and made up. And I, I did. I did what I did yeah. in junior yeah. high, which is I'm not prepared. I don't have the material. But if I can crack a couple of jokes, maybe I'll get a C minus. Well, I sat behind both of you, and I thought, there's only one guy here I want to be friends with. <laughs> yeah, he's in business with the other one. So, yeah, no safe spaces. Uh, well, just a chance to work with Dennis Prager yeah. for me is awesome. Yeah. And you guys all know. It's, he's such a great guy just to sort of hang out with. It's almost like when the cameras start rolling, it's like, oh, we, we can stop kibitzing about whatever fun stuff we were talking about. Uh, so I, I toured the country, done some events with Dennis, done his program. He'd done my program. And so the producer said, hey, you want to do this project with uh, Dennis Prager? And I was like, oh, yeah, for sure. That, that'll be fun. And then, of course, on a real important subject. And if you see the movie, you know, we don't really call it a doc. It's kind of a film because it's got lots of reenactments and lots of different stories and animation. It has the a lot of humor in it. The by the way, are like the greatest They're part so of the film. <laughs> so good. Yeah, I, I, it's a really great piece. As Dennis, who's, you know, so incredibly humble, always says, you know, it's a great movie. Not because I'm in it. Not because I'm in it. Like, he always says to do the humble part. And uh, it's a great movie, but we were along for the ride. Like the producers did a great job. Uh, Justin did a great job at directing it. And it's a really effective piece. Like, I mean, it, it, it'll move you to tears at the end, but you also you watch it and you go, this is important. And the timing couldn't, couldn't be better. And it's like, bring the kids because yeah. uh, if you got a 12, 13, 14 year old at home, and this is what's waiting for them on that college mm. campus, they need, they need a little vaccination. Have you had the chance to show the film to any sort of non-conservative audiences? Have you seen any uh, people on the left react to the film at all? We we just show it and kind of who shows up, who shows up. who shows up is who shows up. And I think we get a pretty mixed bag in there. It probably leans, you know, in terms of the audience, more conservative. But we've gotten some good notices and some good feedback from folks on the left. And I think Dennis always is careful to make the distinction between liberal and left. I, I think I think that's one of his more brilliant observations. I think we all think of ourselves as liberal in a sort of classic sense, but the left stuff is not liberal. It's sort of the right. opposite. It's, it's yeah, it's the opposite of liberal. I have to think that a lot of people who sort of traditional Democrats in this country who may not agree with us on a lot of social issues, may not even agree with us about tax policy, but would still be pretty appalled that what they thought college was supposed to be about, which is this exchange of ideas, maybe even getting in a little trouble with your ideas, tr trying out some ideas that maybe as you get a little older, you don't even keep them, but you, you test the water of what you're going to believe. And that just isn't happening on campus right now. It seems like it's not being allowed at all. That's so funny because I was just doing a Martha McCallum's show, and she was talking about diversity on the campus and the math yeah. teacher getting in all the scrum and everything. And it's like, 
Diversity, diversity, diversity. Yeah, but only in skin color, not in opinions, not in ideas. I mean, isn't the ultimate diversity the diversity of opinion? This notion of like, we're looking for diversity. So it's a whole bunch of different colored people who think exactly <laughs> the same way. That's your definition of diversity. I mean, that's the opposite. And I, there's something, uh, Ben, you'll be glad I say constantly uh, into the microphone and then toward the heavens when I'm alone, <laughs> which is in the doc, when you, in the film, when you go to speak to Berkeley and they have like the vice chancellor or something, and he says this, and, and this is something I think is important where, where they go, the guy goes, I disagree with everything Ben Shapiro has to say, but he, uh, but I agree he has the right to say it. And I'm always like, you don't disagree with everything Ben Shapiro has to of say. Course. As a matter of fact, if you do, then you're I an idiot because <laughs> most of what Ben Shapiro says is correct. There's a small subsection of stuff that has to do with faith, religion, and history, and your personal, personal beliefs and things like that. But most of the family, the country, the education, the pay the taxes, like be a good neighbor, you agree. And I think, I think there's a big problem where they go, I don't agree with anything that Dennis Prager has to say. You, do, you agree with 96% right. of what yeah. Dennis Prager says. If you're a normal right thinking, I don't mean to the right, just a normal, correct thinking person, you will agree with that. You'll agree with Ben. I, I think it's creating this chasm of like, oh, we don't agree on anything. All right, now we're going to move forward. Yeah, you agree on eighty percent of exactly things. right. I mean, I spoke at Boston University a couple of weeks ago, and I was I was boycott. I was protested by two hundred people outside doing this mass protest, calling me a white supremacist and a racist. And inside, I was talking about how Frederick Douglass should be on the national currency <laughs> and the evils of slavery and Jim Crow in American life. And I said because they've never listened to a word. And there was a guy who was going around with a camera. Uh, Fleckus. He was going around with the camera asking people, so what do you know about what Shapiro has said? Nobody knew anything, of course, but that's, that, that is what happens on campus. Well, one of the things I wanted to ask you is, you know, Dennis and you occupy obviously very different spaces. Uh, and Dennis, you know, is sort of in our more traditional space, but you have that crossover with the Hollywood community because you have a lot of friends. You got started in more traditional Hollywood. You have a lot of friends, particularly in the comedic community. Have they seen the film at all? Have they, have they given you feedback on sort of the, the theme of it? Uh, we had a few out to the premiere who really enjoyed it. And then there's some, obviously, that are in the movie. Tim Allen, Brian Callen, yeah. uh, Harlan Williams uh, came out to the premiere and some others whose names escape me right now. I will, uh, I'm going to Seth MacFarlane's Christmas party in a week, <laughs> so maybe I'll sneak a Blu-ray in and uh, pop it into, I'll pop out his, uh, his DVD of Reds with Warren Beatty, <laughs> and I'll pop in. <laughs> I'll pop in no safe spaces, and he'll probably be so many sheets of the wind by the time he gets into bed. He might have watched it all. One the of the things I've been seeing, though, is that there, I mean, it seems like every comedy special is now at least half directed at the extraordinarily woke. I mean, right. Every single one is directed at the overextension of the SJW mentality, of the far-left mentality that says that you can't talk to us. I mean, people who we disagree with a lot of the time but are beginning to realize that the left has pushed too far on this sort of stuff. People who you're, you're friends with, but you know, would never have a conversation with me, well, obviously. Even, even Seth MacFarlane, the guy's made right. his entire fortune basically on Offending pushing the envelope yeah, of, of free speech, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I think there's a saturation point. I think you're seeing it with a lot of the comedians pushing back. I think the Dave Chappelle, Bill Burr had one, where you're seeing I mean, it's comedian's job to sort of be the canary in the coal mine. We, we have to, or the bellwether, or the divining rod, or whatever the metaphor is. So like comedians have to sort of 
take in what's going on around us in society, the milieu, the zeitgeist, you know, like bring it in. And then, wait, why was I such a bad student with all those big words? (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to sue Walter Reed Jr. High. Um, We did go to the same junior high. We did. We, you, uh, it's our jobs as comedians to kind of feel what's going on and then push against it. So if there's too much this, we're going to have to give that. And when you feel the push back, that means the comedians have hit their saturation point. And once the comedians hit the saturation point, they'll be the first people on the beach. You know what I mean? Yeah. They'll be the first out of the Higgins craft. That's how comedy do you, do you lose, I, I don't, not to get too personal, but I mean, do you lose friends in Hollywood by doing the things that you do, by saying the things you say? No, just jobs. <laughs> <laughs> but none of those guys who were going to hire me, yeah. my friends. Um, no, I, I honestly, I, I was laughing with my wife there because I had like another documentary, not get into Sundance and, and whatever. And it's just, you, you'll never, I'll never, nothing with my name will, I make documentaries all day long. None of them are getting into Sundance. Nothing, yeah. no, nothing I do. I said to my wife, I said, I, this Adam Carolla, he's never getting a Sundance. I'm going by Nome de Plume. I said, my new name, Jules Dash. And she said, I don't even know if that's a man or a woman's name. And I said, (laughs) arbitrary categories. I I have been a fan of yours forever. And I was an early reader of your prophetic work in 50 years, we'll all be chicks. When I watched the movie at the premiere, I... Even I was shocked at how crazy it's gotten. I was at co- in college not that long ago. I, I, I'm, I'm only half joking because all of those jokes have sort of come true. Do you feel vindicated? Yeah, but I think I have to die to really realize <laughs> that, that feeling because all I do is sort of, as a, well, as a comedian and a sort of uh, uh, junior psychologist, all I do is try to see what's happening before it's happening. I mean, that's all comedians do is kind of feel what's going on and get there before, before everyone else does. And so 10 years ago, I wrote in 50 years, we'll be chicks because I felt all of this coming. And if you read the book, you, we will, it is, all these things are, are touched upon and it, it's kind of your job to be a little soothsayer or a little nostradamus if you're, if you're plugged in, because you can kind of like, you'll see things like you study things like, I, like you study the Torah. I studied daytime TV commercials <laughs> when I was a kid and I'd stay home from Walter Reed junior high in 1977, every daytime TV commercial was, you want to drive a truck? I'm Wally Thor. We go to the school of trucking in two weeks, get your class C license. They're like, Every commercial that was on Wednesday at one o'clock was drive a truck, small appliance repair. For the women, it was learn to work in a doctor's world. I don't know without secretary or something. So it was all get a job, get a job. You're unemployed. You're home during the day. Get a job. Now, every daytime commercial is a class action lawsuit. Did you have some pubic mesh explode or something? (laughs) Were you exposed to chalk? Were you in like the the talc? You can sue for that? You can sue. (laughs) And then then it gets into like a a wrongful termination, discrimination at work. And I was laughing with Mark Garagos the other day. I said, my kids' kids are going to be home watching TV and Mark Garagos III is going to come on te- the television and go, has your boss asked you to do 
stuff. Because <laughs> I think we'll be there by then, right? Oh yeah, I mean, well, it, it's it was not in fifty years. It was it was in five, right? Yes, you were we just made it. it was just. I mean that, that that whole you have a whole section of that book, which is it is it's the funniest book ever written. It's it's so, it's so funny. The, the 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 whole section of the book where you talk about your son and the expectation that if you're not a homophobe, right. then you will engage in sexual congress <laughs> with a member of the same sex. And we literally there there are articles in like regularly now mm-hmm. about how if you are a biological male and you do not wish to have sex with a biological male who identifies as a female, then you're gay. Right. So if you won't actually have sex with a biological man as a biological man because he identifies as a female, this actually makes you a homosexual. Right. Yeah, this well, is so liberating. Right? <laughs> yeah, I, uh, the thing that's funny, I always sort of crack up about that in 50 years we'll all be chicks is because I, I said in 50 years and it started happening about four years after the book was published and that was 10 years ago. But I always say like, you know, in all those climate movies where the earth's going to be enveloped in tidal waves and the thing there's always that scene about 18 minutes into act one where it's like dr fessbender what's going on like i was way off (laughs) we had 30 years we we have until wednesday it's wednesday like there's always that scene where it's way off that's the way i feel with that book like i said 50 years i meant 20 minutes So the film is No Safe Spaces. It is in theaters uh, nationwide tomorrow? Yeah, nationwide. couple hundred theaters. Uh, you can go to nosafespaces.com. And, uh, you know, I think it's a movie that if your audience who is watching, who doesn't get a lot of movies for them, so to speak, and gets everyone gets preaching, everything's all anti-fracking docs and everything like that, it's a little something for you. Now, Plus, it's definitely important, by the way, for, for everybody to go see it. I'm just going to put that out there that, when people actually make films that are not catering to the hard left and directed by Elizabeth Banks, you should actually go and, see those especially films. Especially if they're good, if they're entertaining yeah. and fun to watch. Well, I mean, that, that was said when I said not by Elizabeth Banks. That was, that was incorporated in that. In that this movie. film is actually hilarious. Seeing the, the reenactment of young Dennis Prager yeah. in his early life in Moscow. <laughs> it was worth the price it's of It's worth the price of admission. Right? And since four of the five of us at this table do star in the film, you would also be doing us a great courtesy and making Drew well, my, insanely My, my jealous. name is misspelled in the, in, the, in the thanks. I always like to say K-L-A-V-E-N. Yeah. <laughs> Perfectly appropriate. Yeah. Perfectly appropriate. Yeah. yeah. Well, we know you have a hard out. Thanks for spending time with us. Thank really you, guys. Appreciate it. This is fun. Let's, let's that, do Adam. it again soon. Yeah. Sooner, than, sooner than later. Please. <laughs> oh, oh do I get up? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, right. Let's just end this damn thing. Okay. Pull a plug. Thanks, Adam. I don't want to be yeah. there. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in to The Daily Wire backstage. We're going to do it again probably in a month or so. And we're going to, if you stick around a little bit after, head over to dailywire.com. Uh, if you are a insider, we are going to be doing a discussion. We are. Yeah, with the four of us. <laughs> Even Ben's going to be in it, and he'll be in a little bit better mood once he, you know, has some more popcorn <laughs> off the floor. Uh, thanks a lot. We'll see you next time. Fake laugh in three, two. <laughs> <laughs> Daily Wire Backstage is produced by Robert Sterling, directed by Mike Joyner. Executive producer, me. Senior producer, Jonathan Hay. Supervising producer is Mathis Glover. Technical producer is Austin Stevens. Assistant director, Pavel Wadowski. Edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. Hair and makeup by Jess Olvera. Segment producer, Rebecca Dobkowitz. The Daily Wire Backstage is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2019. 
Did you know that a baby's heart begins to beat at just three weeks? At five weeks, it can be heard on ultrasound. In some cases, the heartbeat can be the baby's only defense in the womb, which is where preborn steps in. Preborn rescues 200 babies every day from abortion simply by providing moms with free ultrasounds that allow her to hear her child's heartbeat and see their perfectly formed body in the womb. By six weeks, the baby's eyes are forming. By 10 weeks, a baby is able to suck his or her thumb. Preborn needs our help to save these precious souls. For just 28 bucks, you could be the difference between the life or death of a baby. If you become a monthly sponsor, you'll receive stories and ultrasound pictures of the lives you helped to rescue. All gifts are tax deductible. 100% of your gift donation goes toward saving babies. To donate, dial pound 250, say keyword baby. That's pound 250 baby. Or go to preborn.com slash Ben. That's preborn.com slash Ben. Go check them out right now. Preborn.com slash Ben. It's the best thing you're going to do today or maybe ever. Dial pound 250, say keyword baby. Start saving children today.